Next Sunday we're going to be looking at James. We're going to be reading through James and we'll work our way through James leading up to Easter. So um, for this week and next week and then the weeks after that, if we start reading through the book of James. But for this week I have a very uh, special message. Um, Every message is special because I preach from the Bible. Therefore each week I'm telling you what God says. And every message is important. But this is particularly important. So we're going to start the new year with this particular message. And it's taken from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through to verse 32. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. Let's all stand to hear God's word. You don't have to stand if you don't want to, but you have an opportunity to stand, stretch your legs now to hear God's word. Romans 1, verse 18 through to verse 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so they are without excuse for even though they knew God They did not honour him as God, or give thanks, but they came futile in their speculations, and in their foolish hearts they were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over into the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonoured among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts, and receiving their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. God bless his word as we consider that just in a moment. Please be seated. Let's come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, our Lord and our God, we thank you that we can worship you. But we know that we do it in truth. As Jesus himself said in that prayer that he gave on the Thursday night before he died, that we worship you in truth and that your word is truth. Therefore we worship you through your word, through our acceptance of your word. And now we consider your word this message that you have for us at the beginning of this year. And Lord, we pray that you'll open it to our hearts, that you'll help us to understand, to learn, 
to grow, to mature, to apply the truths of your word to our lives so that we might honour you more meaningfully as a result of your word in our lives. Thank you, Father. Amen. As you know, I have mentioned before that um, there is a seriously, seriously grave problem in the world today. It's a problem with eternal consequences, and most of the problems that you will face in your life um, have various consequences. Some might, if they're very, very serious, might be consequences that could last for the rest of your life. But that's as far as they're going to last. But some consequences are literally eternal. And this particular problem has eternal consequences, and it has plagued mankind since the beginning of creation. It's a problem that started outside the church, but is now inside the church. As I've previously said, it's the problem that caused Adam and Eve to be ejected from the Garden of Eden, and plunged all mankind into sin. So this is the original sin, the original problem. It's also the same reason, if you read through the Old Testament, that God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It's the same problem. It's the same problem and the reason that the first temple built by Solomon was destroyed and God's people went into captivity. It's the same reason that the second temple was desecrated and the people again went into captivity. The reason the third temple, because they built another temple, that was totally destroyed. Not one stone was left on top of another because of this same problem. So this problem started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. In fact this problem was the cause of their sin, as I say, the original sin. And this problem can be summed up, as I've told you before, in the words of Satan in the Garden of Eden who said, Did God really say that? Can you really trust everything that God says? Can you really trust all the Bible? This is the devastating sin of distrusting all that God says in his word. And as I say, this continues today, obviously outside, in society, but it is beginning now to become more of a problem within the church. It's a problem for those who claim to follow Jesus, to follow God, not just those who completely ignore him. As I say, it used to be a problem just outside the church. It's the problem of picking and choosing which bit of the Bible you like, which bit of the Bible you want to obey, which bits do you want to accept. So people in churches are happy to accept a lot of what God says, but not all of it. The problem usually starts on the very first page of the Bible. That's where it all begins. In the same way that it started right in the beginning, it was the cause of sin, it starts on the first page of the Bible, accepting all that God says in Genesis. Did he really create the world in six days? And it continues on throughout the whole of the Bible. So people either ignore the bits they don't like, or they add to or take away from the other bits of the Bible. As I've mentioned previously, I went into the details about how it affects the church. But this morning, I wanted to tell you about how it affects the society in which we live. This isn't just a problem that affects the church. This problem affects people who don't even believe in God. This problem affects people who totally reject God. How does this problem 
of not accepting what God says, all of what God says, affect society. We find out how it accepts, affects society in the passage that I just read in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to 22, which tells us of God's wrath against the nations who reject his word. This is the ultimate consequence of rejecting God's word. Let me just read that first verse again to set the stage for the unfolding this very profound and very important truth. It says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, and this is telling you what they've done, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now we know what the truth is because Jesus himself tells us in John 17 verse 17 the truth is his word, the Bible, what God says. So this is saying the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all those who suppress the truth of the Bible in unrighteousness. Now admittedly God's wrath is not a popular subject, not a popular subject in the world. It's not even that popular in the church. You don't really want to hear about the wrath of God do you? But God wants to tell you about his wrath because he loves you, because he cares, because he doesn't want you to go through to experience any wrath. It's absolutely critical and central to the understanding of the gospel, the wrath of God. You can't understand God's love, you can't appreciate God's love unless you understand God's wrath. Now there are a number of different aspects to the wrath of God. First there is what we could call eternal wrath. That's the punishment of God upon anyone who does not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. That's eternal wrath. And the Bible speaks a lot about that, obviously. There's also what you could call eschatological wrath. Eschatological means uh, the study of the end times. That's the wrath of God that will come at the end of the world, as described by many Old Testament prophets, as also described by Jesus himself in the Olivet Discourse, and clearly laid out for us in Revelation. If you were coming on a Monday when we were meeting, we talked a lot about that wrath that's going to come. It hasn't happened yet, it will happen at the end of time. The end of the world, it's still yet to come. There's also what you could call a cataclysmic wrath. Um, tsunamis, volcanoes, hurricanes. Cataclysms do happen in the world. Terrible things happen. And they are the result of sin. It's not meant to happen. We shouldn't live in a world that has tsunamis and volcanoes and famines. All of those things happen. They're not caused by God. Some people think that God causes them. That, that's ridiculous. He doesn't cause them. They're caused by us. Indirectly. They're caused by sin. Because of sin in the world, that's why such terrible things happen. And there's also what you could call consequential wrath. That is the wrath of sowing and reaping. In other words, if you live a certain life, there are consequences that can produce judgment, depending on how you live. There are consequences to living in a certain way. But there is another kind of wrath that people don't often think about, and we see it in this passage here in Romans chapter 1. It's the wrath of abandonment. This is a wrath that the Bible speaks of, that's exhibited by God when he turns his back on a society. It's not on individuals, this is on a group of people or a society or a nation. We see many illustrations in the Old Testament, uh, for example in Judges 10, the people of Israel, God said, you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore 
I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. God is saying to that particular group in that particular time, I'm finished with you. You've rejected me. I'm turning my back on you. I'm abandoning you. We see the same in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 24 to 31. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and nobody paid attention. You neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. It says they will call upon me but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. That is God abandoning his back on a society. You see in Hosea 4 verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. In other words, that's it, I'm finished. Now, if you're a genuine Christian, God, and you need to understand this, If you're a genuine Christian, God will never, ever abandon you. I know the Catholics will teach that he can and does. No, that's wrong. That's not biblical. God never turns his back on a genuine Christian. Nobody, including yourself, can pluck you out of the hand of God. You cannot lose your salvation. That's not possible. But it is very clear from God's word that sometimes there comes a time when God will turn his back on a nation, on a people. And sometimes on a group of people, as we saw in the New Testament, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people at that time, the leaders. Sometimes God comes to a point when he lets people go to the consequences of their own sinful actions. That is, when they reject him, when they reject his word, when they will not accept what it says in the Bible, when they spurn all his reproof, as Proverbs say. So they then eat of the fruit of their own choices, They have decided to live a certain way and God says, let them alone. He said it to the Pharisees, Jesus himself spoke the words in Matthew 15 verse 14. Let them alone, talking of this group of people, the Pharisees, they are blind leaders of the blind. Now those are the most terrifying words that you could hear from the mouth of God. Let them alone, ignore them. I'm having nothing more to do with them. It's frightening to think that a nation or a group of people could be abandoned by God. But he does it. Not because he wants to, but because they abandon him first. And they want nothing to do with him. As I say, it's not something that can happen to an individual genuine Christian, but it can happen to a nation. And it's terrifying to think that the opportunity to salvation is then passed, And the day of grace is over. For the most part, as I say, it relates to a group, a nation, such as it has done on a number of times as Israel. Now that doesn't mean that that nation can't then repent. That doesn't mean that that nation in later times can't come back to God, because Israel do that all the way through the Old Testament. Again and again and again. It's almost laughable, but it's not, because it's not funny. But the nation turns its way away from God, turns his back on God, God says, right, that's it, I'm finished with you, and then after time, sometimes after generations, then they repent, and then they are back. But it is very relevant to us, and the reason that I say it's relevant to us, because it is absolutely clear to me, that God has abandoned 
our nation. God has abandoned the United Kingdom to the effects of its sinful choices. The nation in which we live can no longer be called a Christian nation. Those days are long gone. And if you haven't realised that, you haven't been keeping your eyes open around you. In Acts chapter 14 verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, In the generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own way. God does this a lot because the nations continually reject him. This abandonment of the nations is the account of history. This is why nations rise and fall. All the nations eventually turn their back on God and go their own way. So like the nations of the world, we follow the same cycle. First of all, we have the truth of God. Then the nation rejects the truth of God. Then the nation is tragically abandoned by God. C.S. Lewis writes about this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He wrote, The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom that they have demanded and they are therefore self-enslaved. The people demand freedom. They demand to live without God. And eventually God will say, Okay, if that's what you want, that's what you will have. And if they persist in their sin, God will abandon them to their own choices and the consequences of their choices. There are serious, eternal consequences of that choice. And just what is the abandoning act on God's part? It's the removal of his restraining grace. You see, God restrains sin in your life. You'd be a lot more sinful if you weren't a Christian. I know you're already sinful anyway, and you do things that you shouldn't do. But if you weren't a Christian, and God's Holy Spirit wasn't within you, you would be a lot more sinful than you are. God restrains you through his grace. And when God turns away from a society, when he turns that society over to their own sinful freedoms, he's taking that restraining grace away. And no part of the Bible directly confronts this abandonment and its consequences in Romans chapter 1. Here is the most graphic, the most comprehensive discussion of what it actually means for a nation to be abandoned by God. It's the best passage to explain the moral chaos, the confusion that we experience in our own nation today. God's wrath is already at work in our culture. We're not waiting for it. It's already happening. And in Romans chapter 1 verse 24 we see the defining section of what it means to be abandoned by God. It says in verse 24, God gave them over. You see it again in verse 26. God gave them over. You see it in verse 28. God gave them over. Three times we get that statement. God gave them over. It means, uh, in the Greek there, it's, it can be in a judicial sense. It, it uh, can be used as a judgment made on a criminal to be handed over for punishment. God gave them over. Each of these phrases express the fact that the wrath of God acted upon people. God gives them over. It's God letting them go to the cause, the effect of their own sinful choices. It's when his judgment falls. They're uh, depriving of restraining grace. The result then is that sin runs rampant through a society. Sin is both a cause and the effect. And then the next cause and the next effect. Sin is the reason and also the result. It's the cause and the consequence. 
I want you to notice the wrath of abandonment in progression. How does this start? How does it then continue? That will help you understand why I say that we are experiencing it in our country, in the United Kingdom generally today. If we look at verse 24, when the wrath of abandonment goes into action, it's defined as God giving them over, and it follows three sequential steps. There are three big things that happen when God abandons a society. It says in verse 24, therefore, now that connects it to the previous passage. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? There's therefore a reason. It's telling you, therefore, because of what I've just said, therefore. In the prior passage, it says, the wrath of God of heaven is revealed. Then we get a number of statements, <coughs> excuse me, about why it's revealed. Because the truth is suppressed, that which is known of God is rejected, etc. And then you come back in verse 24, what the wrath is, therefore God gave them over. And the first thing that it says is he gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonoured amongst them. In other words, the first sign in any society, in any nation, of this wrath of abandonment, of God giving them over, is sexual immorality. When a society becomes pornographic, when the general character of the society can be seen to be immoral, that's the first step. When a society is abandoned by God, it operates really only out of the passions of its own impure heart. The lust of the heart leads to the lust of impurity. The heart's wretched, the heart's immoral, the body then follows. And that's what you see in verse 24. That's the first step. When the heart is dominated by lust, impurity in the body then follows. When the heart is wicked and unrestrained, the body follows, and then you get this pornographic culture. And that's the first step, that's what it says here, away from God to the state when he finally then abandons that society. Now I don't know if you've realised, we've already got well past that point in this society. I'm only 62, but in my lifetime I can see so very, very clearly that it's getting worse and worse and worse. It all started actually in the 60s, if you think back in a bit of history, with the hippie movement, free love, so on and so forth. Before that time, many of you will even remember, this is all within our lifetime. People, women for example, they didn't wear short skirts and revealing clothing. It wasn't that long ago, you know the song, in olden times a glimpse of stocking was thought of quite shocking. If you saw an ankle, that was quite a thing. But not now. And that was just the beginning. Today, it's a lot worse. Since that time, this society has become increasingly pornographic. And I say pornographic deliberately because the internet particularly is dominated by millions and millions of absolutely disgusting, immoral, pornographic websites that feed the insatiable lust that dominate our culture. This leads to the smashing, the crushing of marriage, horrific, horrendous abuse of children, paedophilia, all kinds of child abuse come out of that, all kinds of pornography that run rampant, because God's restraining grace has been removed. It just gets worse. Sex runs rampant, marriage becomes a minor option, people think, well, you know, I might do, don't have to, just live together, it makes no difference. And eventually women are not even safe to go out at night, not even safe when approached by a policeman. 
these days, even in schools sometimes, even children sexually abuse each other. Happens, we read about it, we hear about it, we see it on the news. And all that is just step one. So if you want to know about God's abandonment, just look at the society in which you live. Is it driven by sexual immorality? Sex outside of marriage? Marriage treated as irrelevant? The heart filled with lust, impurity, and the body follows. And sadly the answer for our own society, our own kingdom, the United Kingdom, is yes. That is so clear, that is so obvious, just look around. That's step one. What about step two? Step two is in verse 26. For this reason, and we can see this progression, God gave them over to degrading passions. So now we're not just talking about normal sexual human relationships. The next step after the abandonment to that is degrading sexual passions. And now we're starting to go downhill. Gross affections, vile desires, sexual perversions. And the second step is then defined. The women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And Holy Spirit in this passage firstly refers to the degradation uh, of women because... Uh, Naturally, they're usually the last to be affected by the decay of morals. Men usually fall very easily. Women tend to fall a little bit later. Women are usually stronger than that. Mainly people think because they have a mothering instinct, a protective instinct against, over their own children. So women usually fall secondly. But when the wrath of God's abandonment is in force, even the women fall to degrading passions. All virtue have gone, homosexually uh, invades the female gender, and then verse 27 adds, and in the same way the men abandoned the natural function of the woman, and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. So that's the second step. First step, when you see a society that's gone pornographic, open to sexual immorality, fornication, adultery is a way of life, sex outside of marriage, marriages and irrelevance, you know that the wrath of God is beginning. That's the first step. When a society also exalts homosexuality, it's sinking even deeper. That's the second step. That's what this passage says. But there's a third step. Verse 28. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God then gave them over to a depraved mind. So first the heart is rotten, then the body follows, and then the third step is the mind goes. What's a depraved mind? Well, the word literally, uh, the word literally means they're uh, tested and found useless, disqualified for its intended purpose. It's a, a non-functioning mind. It's so corrupted that it doesn't work properly anymore. Uh, the moral law of God is written in the heart, but that has been literally stomped on, replaced with cultural morality. People don't listen to pastors anymore. They listen to the media. They listen to whatever the television tells them. They listen to society. The conscience no longer functions. And verse 28 says they do the things which are not proper, not moral. So immorality goes in every direction. And then they get to the stage where they can't even find their way back because the mind has become so corrupt. And by the time society gets to the third stage, and we're in it now, people don't even think right. 
People's brains don't follow the path that God has ordained that they should follow. They advocate all the wretched things, depreciate all the virtuous things. Just consider, uh, for example, all the, the reality TV shows you see. You think back to your grandmother or your great-grandmother and you play some of those reality TV shows to them and you think, what would they think about that? How would they see that? They'd be in tears. They'd be shocked. They'd be absolutely disgusted. And yet, today's society, we think, oh, it's not so bad. It's good entertainment. It's not. It's not. Most of them are about pretty much pornographic in their content, and they're put out on the television as good entertainment. And what flows from this pornographic, depraved culture? What's the result of this? Well, God tells us in verse 29 and following, All unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's just a partial list. He doesn't have the space to write down all of it. It's like somebody opened the sewer of sin and let it run through society. And that's even when it says in Romans 2 that they know the ordinance of God, which are written on the heart, they know. But it still continues. They not only do such evil things, but they also give, it says, compete approval to others. So, according to God, they know it's wrong, they know the consequences, but they do it anyway. And give compete approval to others. Just look at any newspaper, turn on the television. This is what it's like in our society. People without conscience, people without reason, people without restraint. Ask yourself, is this a pornographic, depraved society manifesting these characteristics or not? You have to answer yes, because it is. The media, the television, the music industry, the radio, the magazines, they all promote and feature people who are the purveyors of this filth, this cultural immorality. And they are the heroes. The people who are the worst, they're the heroes of society. They're the people that, that, that all your kids and all the kids in school think are fantastic. They're the ones they look up to. And God warns us here in Romans 1, this is what happens when he abandons a society. That brings us to the question... Why does he do it then? Why does God abandon the society in this way? Well, we're told that in verse 18. We've seen what it looks like, we've seen when God does it, but why does he do it? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress God's word, ignore the Bible. The wrath of God is already operating in our culture because people ignore what God says in the Bible. So yes, God has abandoned our society. But God has abandoned our society because our society has abandoned God. That's why. And most importantly, our society has abandoned his word, the Bible. And there's no sure and no sadder evidence of a corrupted and wicked society when they will not tolerate anger against any sin. You can do pretty much what you want and nobody can tell you anything because that's your choice. Our society won't tolerate anger against sin because it rejects what God says in his word as the standard. There is no standard anymore. There's no standard. 
Our society feeds on sin. It throws out the Bible as its standard. In other words, our society has abandoned and rejected God's word. That's why the UK is under the wrath of God's abandonment. That's why it's such a mess. Restraining grace has been pulled back and as a result it becomes more and more immoral, more depraved every single year. And as I say, you're all old enough to have seen this happen to a horrendous extent in your own lifestyle. Why does it happen? Well let me show you another sequence starting in verse 18 that's led our society to this. The major reason obviously summed up in that one statement, they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. God will eventually abandon any society, and all societies do this. We're not the only society that's done it. Every single society has done this throughout history. And he will abandon any society that suppresses the truth of God as contained in his word. We're told in Romans 2, he has divinely placed within all humans a law written in our hearts. That's why he says they know the truth. They know a moral ethic, a moral standard that must be obeyed. That's why people know that they're doing wrong. Sometimes that's why they do it, because they want to do wrong. But they know it's there. It's in their hearts. And as well as that, we've also got the Bible. In the Western world, we've been uh, really privileged to have the Bible for centuries. And in our nation, the world, though, has suppressed the truth of that Bible. They've changed it, they've added to it, they've crushed it under the preference for sin. And as I said, um, they do it within churches, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, they do it when they, be get, when they become or accept women as ministers, or accept same-sex relationships, or reject the truth of Genesis. It's, it's happening all the time. And they do this because society around them rejected God's word a long time ago, and the church is thinking, well, you know, society has some good ideas, so we'll follow them now. We'll follow society. We, we don't really like what that says there in God's word, so we'll listen to all the people outside who aren't even Christians, and we'll, we'll, we'll follow what they do. Starting with the society, the church is following society down the same path. So they're following society rather than God's word, which is very, very clear. Let me just unpack these verses for you. We'll get... Another four really sequential reasons for the wrath of God. First of all, they suppress the truth. And then verse 19 says, the source, um, it says, That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, what, what God is saying there is that even without the Bible... Even if you didn't have the Bible, people know there's a God because of creation. It's so obvious. It's so clear. It's there in your heart. They are without excuse. Creation, the intricacy, if you really think, just, just take a flower. If you really think about the intricacy of that flower and you're seriously going to say that just happened by chance. That's just stupid to be quite blunt. That is ridiculous. That flower is there because God created it. You've got no excuse to say there is no God. And there's a lot more than a flower as evidence. The entire creation is evidence, even without the Bible. It's so embedded in us, it says in verse 20, that we are without excuse. Nobody can plead ignorance. And in our country in the West we also do have the Bible too. So God hasn't just given us creation as evidence of his existence 
He's actually written it down to make it absolutely crystal clear we have the Bible too. And throughout the history of our nation, we've had the truth of God's Word. And people, even in my lifetime, used to listen to it. And in your lifetime too, you can remember that. People actually used to listen to it. Even non-Christians used to accept the general teaching of the Bible. Not anymore. Now they reject it. And evolution particularly has caused a massive assault on the truth, denying that there needs to be a cause for an effect. It's so obvious, so logical that there has to be a cause and effect. But evolution says no. There has to be a God who created it. But evolution says no. You know, when you read the book of Acts, and whenever um, the, the Christians are preaching, uh, to Gentiles particularly, um, what they would do, they would talk first of all about creation. They would say, it's obvious. We see it in Acts 14, we see it in Acts 17. They also go back to, to, to creation. Because everybody knew, it was so obvious, so logical, there had to be a creator. The people knew that he had to be powerful, he had to be a designer, he had to be moral because there's morality in the heart. Therefore, it's obvious. But our society has succeeded in eliminating even the need for a creator with this ridiculous theory of evolution. It's not a fact. To be a fact, you have to be able to repeat it scientifically in a laboratory. To be a scientific fact, it cannot be repeated, obviously. Therefore, you can't say it's a fact. And it isn't because it's rubbish. Denying the authenticity of the Bible. And as I say, even in church there is this mad dash to add to and take away from the Bible. Because people don't like to hear what it says. Because they're listening to society out there. But the truth is, what it's saying here, they've got no excuse. They have a conscience. As well as the Bible. And then the second progression is in verse 21. For even though they knew God... They did not honour him as God. All give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Even though mankind finds God in reason, it still rejects God. Even though they find God in the moral law, they still reject him. Even though they find him in the truth of the Bible, they still reject him. They suppress the truth of God because they love the darkness rather than light. The bottom line is they want to live the way that they want to live. And if you accept God, you can't do that. Because God says, no, that's bad for you. It's like we're all children, and God's the Father, and he's saying, if you live this way, it will harm you. It's not a good way to live. But people, like children, don't want to accept that. They don't like what God says, they don't like to live the way that God wants them to live and commands them to live, so they reject, they have to really, reject what he says. And as a result, they plunge further downwards, believing that they can live anywhere they like without any consequences. But there are consequences, serious eternal consequences. They're finding themselves under the divine judgment of the severest kind. <clears throat> so as we look at our society, we see a people who do not honour God. They do not accept the Bible. It says in verse 21, they do not honour him as God, and they do not give thanks. No, I can pretty much say, I thank God every single day of my life for something. I'm constantly thanking him. Now that's not because I'm a great Christian, or because I'm moral, or because I'm particularly intelligent, or because I'm particularly good or anything. That's simply because I know that everything that I have, and everything that I am, 
and everything that I could be is all from him so how can I not give him thanks how can I not say thank you every single day it's obvious but people don't thank him and they certainly don't believe he's the source of everything see mankind's problem it's not that they can't find God it's not that they can't recognise God it's not that they can't find the truth or recognise the truth the problem is they don't want to they're not going to the truth is there it's so clear they don't want to John says in John 3 they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil in other words they want to continue to sin therefore they're not going to accept the truth because it will mean they can't sin anymore they don't want to honour God to honour him would cause them to be accountable to him therefore they don't honour him so they'd rather live without God people think that life is random think they were all the products of evolutionary chance no purpose, no creator, no accountability people foolishly think the truth is relative there's no absolutes just go with a majority public opinion you know you can change public opinion of course people also foolishly believe that they are basically good you know I'm pretty good, I'm a good person, you hear that all the time they also foolishly believe that everyone can change their own life you know if you really try hard you can change your own life you can be the person you want to be you have the power to be whatever you want to be rubbish that's complete rubbish that's the biggest lie ever you only have the power to be whatever God wants you to be another dominating lie is that the goal of life is self-satisfaction again that's rubbish that's a lie life is not random truth is not relative people are not basically good nobody can change their life just because they choose to the goal of life is not self-satisfaction the truth actually is the opposite the truth is that God is sovereign nothing's random the Bible is absolute truth all people are sinful only Jesus Christ can truly change your life and selfless submission to Jesus Christ that's the goal of life whether people like that or not the people of this world have got it completely and totally wrong. They couldn't be more wrong. They think they've achieved everything in their own way. And when people think like that, darkness dominates, the light goes out, and God abandons them. And that's happened now. Intellectual darkness, moral darkness turns to spiritual darkness and they face the wrath of God because they will not acknowledge God then we get rationalisation in verse 22 professing to be wise they become fools they think they're so clever but the darkness is so profound that they can't even assess their true condition they profess to be wise it's like the emperor's new clothes you know the story of the emperor's new clothes he was told wrongly that this beautiful suit was invisible this marvellous suit so he goes parading around with nothing on and all the people are, oh yeah what a lovely suit and then one little boy in the crowd said he's got nothing on that's what society's like a society of proud fools flaunting themselves as if they're significant as if they're wise and all the people are following them thinking, oh yeah great they're all being fooled they're on endless talk shows speaking rubbish proclaiming their own foolishness it leads to the fourth element religion revelation rejection rationalization they've exchanged the glory of their incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures it says in verse 23 people are still religious don't, don't be fooled the, the churches are, are still there there are people in churches who are still 
abandoning God. But they're still religious. They create their own false gods. Verse 25, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve creature rather than the creator. They keep worshipping. Doesn't mean they're not religious. The whole world is fanatically religious. But we're not ascending up from the muck of paganism. We're declining down. It's, it's getting worse. We're falling from the truth of God into the slime of religion, false religion. It's ultimate insanity to reject God and create a non-God that doesn't exist and worship that instead. That's ridiculous. Is it any wonder, therefore, that as a society we are struggling with our ethics? Is it any wonder that we're struggling with our morals? This society in which we live has rejected God. He's given us a revelation but the world has rejected it. He's given us the Bible, but the world has rejected it. And because they've rejected his word, because our society has abandoned God, God has simply returned the favor. That's all he's doing. They've rejected him, so he said, okay, you're on your own. And this society that we live in is on its own. That brings us to the final question for this morning. Is there any hope? Of course, there's always hope. Is there any hope for this country? Is there any hope for our society? Of course there is. However, it would mean that the people have to stop and turn in the other direction. It would mean a complete turnaround. They would have to repent. They would have to acknowledge that yes, there is a God. And yes, he is in control. They would have to acknowledge and accept all of God's word and live by it. They would have to worship God. In Psalm 81 verse 11 it says, But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. This happened to Israel, as I say. And then it says in verse 13, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him. There is always hope. It says there, it would be so good to be under the protection of the Lord that other people would even pretend to be believers because they would be amazed at how good it is to be a Christian. And then it says in verse 16, And then I would feed them with the finest of wheat and with the honey from the rock, and I would satisfy them. So there is hope, there's hope for this society, there's hope for any society, but they have to hear the word and obey it. And how are they going to do that? Well, that comes down to you, because God's not going to come down again. And the next time that God appears on this planet, that's it, there's no more hope then, because one day he's returning. But there is hope, and God wants to proclaim his word to the people, but that is where you come in. Because he's only going to do it through you. If you don't proclaim the truth, if you don't proclaim the truth of God's word, how is it going to happen? We are the only hope. You are the only hope for this society in which we live. You're the only chance that this society has. I know that's a pretty big responsibility on your shoulders, but it's true. You're the only hope. You've got to proclaim the truth. You've got to tell people they need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. You've got to tell people that the Bible is true and they need to live by it. You've got to sometimes be harsh with them. But better that 
than to leave them to an eternity in hell, which is really where society is headed at the moment. It is therefore your responsibility to accept and obey all of God's word and proclaim it to anyone that God brings within your path, and he will bring people within your path. As you go into this new year, that is the hope. You are the hope. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we thank you that we know you. We thank you that we are not part of this society. We live in it, but we're not of it. We do not condone all that the people do. We do not accept that they do. But we do love them. And we do want to help them. We want to reach out to them. We don't want them to, to go the way they're going. We don't want to, to be judgmental. It's not our responsibility to judge anybody. That is only your responsibility as Lord and God. But Lord, we know that they're wrong. And therefore, we know our part is so necessary to, to speak out the truth, to reach out, to proclaim the truth to the people so that they can know what we know, that there is a God. You are the creator. That Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and it is only accepting him as Lord and Saviour that anybody can be saved we can't change a society but we can be the means by which you change an individual and we thank you Father that there's always hope Amen